to our service of worship this morning, please stand and join us as we begin by singing our praises to God. And if we sing it, more will come. More will join us. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into your mercy. When nothing can keep us apart. So
Father, we do pray that you will make us aware of your spirit with us. We want to have a a mindset, an atmosphere that is in tune with you. Lord, we just want to sort of get swept up in the spirit of what you're doing and what you want to do in this place today. So let it be so. Through the grace and mercy of Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. couple of things I want to highlight uh, for you. Um, as you see in the bulletin, two weeks from today, we begin our, uh, our annual prayer vigil, three weeks, uh, 24-7 time of praying together. And we're looking forward to this event. There are a lot of new things that will be in the rooms and uh, some things that we've had in the past, but a lot of things will look different. And so we're excited about uh, this time and we'll begin signups next week. Um, for uh, the prayer vigil, and we'll be continuing to talk about that in the coming weeks. Also, um, J.L. Miller was uh, ordained to the Christian ministry last Sunday night at a service at the Western Church of Orchard Park, and uh, if you see him, just congratulate him and let him know of our support and, uh, and our love, and this, uh, this is a, a big event in his life, and we rejoice and celebrate with him. And also, uh, we have again been blessed with a new baby, Benjamin Case Creighton, Born to John and Karen last Sunday, and so we celebrate with them and rejoice in the gift of new life again in their family and in ours as well. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Matthew Webb, um, and I'm representing this morning the Missions Committee. Uh, and want to share a bit with you about our faith promise goal. Our missions budget each year um, supports a number of missionaries, full-term, full-term missionaries, short-term trips, uh, local ministries. Um, however, in recent years, as more needs have arisen and our vision has grown, uh, we've decided to adopt a faith promise approach to allow for additional giving uh, and support. A faith promise is really a matter of trusting God to enable us to give above and beyond our normal tithes and gifts to the church. Every year when I hear stories about how people have been blessed and um, really some miraculous things in terms of how people have been able to give above and beyond, uh, it's just a reminder to me of how God has blessed our church community uh, and continues to do so. Our faith promise goal this year was $30,000 due in December. We've almost reached that pledge goal, uh, and the numbers actually are printed in this week's bulletin. If you look on the back of the bulletin, we've almost reached the pledge goal of $30,000, and over half of that, well over half of that, has already been given and fulfilled. As a recipient of some of these gifts in the past, I've gone on a couple short-term missions trips uh, to Peru with the men's soccer team at Houghton College. Uh, I want to thank those who have given. Um, And from the missions committee, I want to encourage you, as the Lord leads, to consider being part of that pledge, uh, faith promise pledge this year, um, to help us reach and realize our goal. And you can do that a couple of ways. Um, You can make gifts or pledges simply by dropping a note in the offering plate. If you want to write a check, just make sure you put faith promise on the memo line, or if giving cash uh, in an envelope, just indicating that it's for the faith promise uh, initiative. Um, You can drop those off at the church office at any time uh, as well. So it's exciting. It's exciting for me to see how the Lord continues to bless us. And I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to bless us again this year. Thank you. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
that leads us into a time of prayer today. Um, I think the amazing thing about our Father is that He just invites us to come to Him, however we are, whatever our needs, our burdens, however inadequate we may feel. And this is a chance for us to do that corporately. So as we pray together, if you'd like to come and use the altar rails, a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we are amazed at your invitation, that we don't have to get ourselves together before we can come to you, that we don't have to figure out everything before we come to you, but you invite us to come to you so that you can put our lives together, so you can give us the grace to figure out things. 
so that we can be the people you have created us and called us to be. We thank you this morning, Father, for hearing our prayers as we offer them for our own needs and the needs of others and the needs of this world. Father, you know our struggles. You know the the sins that we're wrestling with. You know the failings. You know the, the struggles that are weighing us down. We have concerns about the future. There are uncertainties about decisions we need to make. There are troubles in some of our relationships. Lord, in all of these things, we pray for your grace. Lord, we come today, some of us are grieving for a wide variety of reasons, and we pray for your comforting peace. We come today and remember those who are struggling with illness and pain. And we think especially of Phil Muker, Ted Hopkins, of Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown, Florence Tuber, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, and Emily Crickler. We ask for your healing mercies upon each of them. We continue to pray for people who are recovering from natural disasters and some who are in the midst of facing them even now. We ask for your, your protecting grace. We ask for uh, the ability to, to find healing and restoration after some horrific events. We pray, Father, for this world of violence and war and terrorism. We pray that you would bring peace to our warring world. We think of our brothers and sisters who live in places of the world where they face persecution every day for their faith. We ask that you would protect them. Pour out your spirit upon them, Father. We pray for even for those who persecute them, that they would see you in our brothers and sisters, and it might change their perspective, open their eyes to you and your loving grace. Father, we pray today for Rose Jones and the team she's with in Cuba. And as they work there to, um, to serve along with the Cuban Christians and the National Disability Organization, as they put together wheelchairs and other mobility equipment and hand out Bibles and present the gospel, we pray that you will bless their efforts. May the love of Jesus be so evident in all that they do, all that they say. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy upon us. We pray for your, your peace in our lives. And we pray that you will give us hearts to love, hearts full of compassion and grace that reflect who you are in us. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Father. We offer them in the name and the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church. Acts 9, 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, 
he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. It's the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. No! 
sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. How do you think other people perceive this church? What kind of vibe do we give off as a congregation of believers? On one hand, we may say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't make any difference what kind of uh, perception people have of us. This is who we are, and, you know, they just don't understand us. But the perception that people have of us is vital. Because how people perceive the church has a lot to do with how they perceive God. And I'm convinced that how people perceive us has a lot to do with how we perceive ourselves. What do we think is important? What do we spend our time on? What do we give our energy to? What's, what's sort of the, the aura, the, the vibe of, that we want as a church? And more often than not, what we think about ourselves begins to be what other people think about us too. And it makes it important about, so it's significant of how we view ourselves as a church. And one of the ways, and sort of kind of what we've been talking about over these last few Sundays and we'll continue to talk about as we think about the church and living in that tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. And one of the ways in which I think how we perceive ourselves is especially important based on how other people, to, about how other people perceive us is this question of who is welcome in the church? Who do we welcome? You see, there's something in us that, that wants to feel special. Right? I mean, we all want to feel special. And part of the reason we want to feel that way, and part of the reason we are in some sense supposed to feel that way, is because God created us as special people. He tells us that in the scriptures in numerous times, that he created us as his special people. And I don't just mean as Christians, but as human beings, but also as Christians. The problem is, when we start thinking about we are special, we imply that other people are not. And there is this sense of wanting to figure out who's in and who's out. Who, who's welcome and who's not welcome. I mean, the very question, who's welcome in the church, implies that there are people who are not and part of us feels like we are more special if there are some people who are not quite as special. It, it, there's something about human nature that wrestles with that. And the trouble with that is that when we start reading the, the scriptures, and particularly you read the gospels, what you find is that the, there are, this is certainly the mindset of the, of the 
Jewish religious leaders in first century Palestine, and it's actually been going on a long time. And this is one of the things they get upset with Jesus about, is that they believe that there are people who are in, and that's them, and there are people who are out, and those are the people that they get frustrated and upset with because Jesus wants to keep spending time with them. And so we have this dialogue in in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus calls Levi, who's a tax collector, who is one of the out people, according to the religious leaders. And he calls him to follow him. And then he goes to a big banquet he called in his house. And they gather around all these people. And the religious leaders say to the disciples, Hey, why does Jesus hang out with all of these sinners and outcasts and all the people who are out? And Jesus overhears this and he says, Look, I've come for people who realize they need help. For people who are sick, not for people who are well. And Jesus sets the groundwork right off the bat in saying, who's welcome in the kingdom? Who's welcome in, in to who am I welcoming? Everybody. The people that we think should be in and the people we think shouldn't be in. And as a church, we have to ask ourselves, are we going, is our default to try to find ways to exclude people or is our default to try to find ways to include people? Is our default to try to find every way possible to welcome every person possible or is our default to try to find ways to keep people out? Or as David Brooks said in an article I read recently, is the church building ramps or walls? There's a passage in Acts 15 as they're discussing some things about Gentiles and Jews. And one of the people says, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles to become Christians. So what are we doing? Are we making it easy for people or more difficult for people? There's something in us that wants to believe there are some people that God really doesn't want in the church. This is the struggle that Ananias has in the story we read a few moments, moments ago. It's a story, a struggle and a story that I, is long, and so we didn't read it this morning. But in chapter 10, there's a story about Peter and a Roman soldier named Cornelius. And in that story, Cornelius is a, he's a God-fearing person, but he doesn't know about Jesus. But he's wanting to do the right thing. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman. He represents everything to the Jews that is fighting against them as a people. But he has this vision of God and he says, go, go send some people and get this guy named Peter and come and he'll talk to you. And at the same time, Peter's up praying and he has this vision of a sheet coming down and all these unclean animals that Jews are not allowed to eat. And, and God says to him, take and eat. And Peter says, no, I don't eat that kind of stuff. That's against the rules. And as this keeps happening over and over again, eventually Peter wakes up and these guys come and they tell him the story about Cornelius and he goes with them and he shares the gospel. And Peter eventually says, I see now that God doesn't play favorites when it comes to the gospel and the kingdom. And there's something in us, though, that wants to believe that maybe God plays favorites. I mean, I suspect that it wouldn't take very long for us if we were to stop and think about it of people that we really aren't sure they belong in the church. In fact, having them in the church would make us feel very uncomfortable. It's the same struggle that Peter wrestles with. It's the same struggle that Ananias wrestles with. And they're both hesitant to act on that. There's something inside of them that says, I don't think this is right. And we get that. We wrestle with that too. Ananias struggles because because of all the things that Saul, who later becomes Paul, renamed, Saul does to the Christians. He's persecuting them. And Ananias says, wait a minute, Lord, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And Peter is hesitant to go with, to Cornelius because Cornelius represents all the sinfulness in the secular world, the Roman people. And Peter says he's not the right kind of person 
for Paul, for Ananias, Saul, his hesitancy is because of what Saul does. And for Peter, his hesitancy is because of who Cornelius is. And we wrestle with people in both categories. What they do and who they are. And we struggle to think, to imagine, to envision them really being a part of the church. And if we can't really imagine them being a part of the church, then what we're in essence saying is they're not really welcome, not just by us, but by God. And we'd be more comfortable if they weren't here. You can, you can see right away that there is a certain level of risk involved in taking the mindset of being welcoming, of building ramps instead of walls. For Ananias, of course, you know, he, he and Peter are both saying, wait a second, Lord. I mean, Ananias is worried about his well-being because he knows what's, that Saul's a persecutor. And he's saying, Lord, do you realize who he is? And Peter's saying, Lord, do you realize who he is? You almost get the sense that, that they're saying, Lord, I don't want to be disrespectful, but are you out of your mind? Really? All of our lives, all of my life, I've been trained. These are the, this is what you do with this kind of person. And now you're telling me to totally change that? Wait a second. You see, a lot of good things have been put into our minds, and we wrestle with them. And when God comes to us and says, okay, I'm going to change the way you think about people, it's hard for us. It's a battle. I love the line in that story of Ananias where God says to him, look, I want you to go talk to him. He says, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. And there's almost something in my mind that Ananias says, well, okay, then I'll go talk to him. If he's going to have to suffer for you, then I'll be happy to go talk to him. There is, there is something in us that, that we're, we're torn. There's this risk, and it eventually it becomes an issue of trust. Do we believe that God really welcomes everyone? It's a struggle for us, I think, sometimes to come to grips with that. I think part of the reason is because we forget If you've been in the church for a while, we forget that we are here only because God welcomes everyone. We forget we are here only because of God's grace. We all know the church is complicated. We all know the church is messy. We all know that that we have a lot of struggles and we represent people as a group. We represent all kinds of struggles and issues and failings and difficulties. And the issue is not that we have a hard time acknowledging that. The issue is we sometimes want to give people the impression that that's not true. And that if you're in the church, then you've gotten everything figured out and we're perfect. And we forget. You get some distance and we forget that it's only the grace of God that opened the doors for us to be a part of the kingdom. And even if we were raised in the church, somewhere down the line in our lineage, the door was open to one of our ancestors to come into the church. At some point in time, somebody in our lineage shouldn't have been welcomed in the church, but was. And because of that, we have experienced the grace of God in a way that other people might not have. And it's important for us to understand that. Philip Yancey says he once heard a, a description of the church like this, that the church is, is where a, a, a nice, pleasant, bland person stands up in front of nice, pleasant bland people and urges them to be nicer, more pleasant, and more bland. And quite frankly, sometimes that's what we do. But the reality is that this story of Ananias and the subsequent story of Peter and Cornelius is about God trying to expand our borders, trying to open our minds to his mind and his heart. 
And as John Stott says, the story of Cornelius and Peter, the principal idea and reason for that story being included is really not to tell us about the conversion of Cornelius. It's, about, it's to tell us about the conversion of Peter. It's to help us see the struggle that Peter has to come to grips with the mind and the heart of God so that you and I, in our struggle to come to grips with the mind and the heart of God, might open our hearts as Peter does. The hard thing is, there are always going to be people who are going to misunderstand our intentions. And the minute we start talking about the church being welcoming and to use a term that gets misinterpreted a lot, to be to include people, to be inclusive, that becomes a very politicized word. And I don't mean it in the political sense. The minute we start talking about building ramps instead of walls, people are going to misunderstand what we mean. It happens to Ananias. I mean, he comes, he prays with, with Saul. Saul is now a believer. And Ananias goes to the church and they're all like, whoa, I don't know. And Saul goes to Jerusalem and he tries to meet with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they won't have anything to do with him. They don't trust him. They don't believe it. And Barnabas has to step in and say, no, he really has changed. He's one of us. But their initial reaction is, yeah, I don't think so. And when Peter gets done with Cornelius, he is called before the, the church as well. And they say to him, what are you doing? First of all, we don't share the gospel with Gentiles, much less eat with them. Because when you eat with them, as Peter did, you're saying, you're my brother, you're my friend. We're in a relationship together. We connect with each other. And, you know, as you probably are aware, Jews and Gentiles did not get along with each other. And in fact, Jews were not permitted to eat a meal with a Gentile. Because that very act meant, I accept you. And that's exactly what Peter did. And they're all up in arms about it. And Peter has to defend himself. And to explain everything that went on. And sometimes we have to do that too. Because there is this, this sense of people judging us. But, and, and a lot of times the judgment is, so you're just simply saying we're going to open the church to anybody and people can do whatever they want. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying we're opening the church to Everyone, because God does, but not just so we can stay the same, but so that we can be transformed. Just like you and I are welcoming into the church so we can be transformed. This is not a sense of, well, we're just going to welcome everybody and we'll just sort of do whatever we want to do. This is, this is simply a, a, an idea, a means of helping people understand who God is. Because the reality is, this is the heart of God. I mean, even go all the way back to the Old Testament. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the nations of the world will know who I am and come to me. And he tells Israel the same thing. And Jesus has the same message. And now we see this in the early church. It is a spirit of openness, a spirit of welcome, so that people who don't know Jesus can know Jesus. And be changed, just like you and I have come to know Jesus and, and are changed. That's the whole point. But how will people ever know the love of God? How will people ever know the transforming power of Jesus if we don't give them a reason to know? If there isn't an opening, a welcoming, an avenue for that? When our default is we're trying to, to keep out people we don't think should be here, then where are they possibly going to go about the burdens and the concerns and the needs of their life? They're going to go to other places rather than Jesus. I keep thinking about the story in John chapter 6 where Jesus is starting to say some hard things to his followers and a bunch of them leave. And he looks at the 12 disciples and he says, so you guys going to leave too? And their response is, no, why would we leave? You're the only one that has the word of life. And that mindset is what we're really looking for as the church. That we realize nobody else has the word of life that can change people's lives and set them free from all the bondage of sin except the church. 
But if our mindset is we really need to build walls so that the wrong people don't get in, I will never know. And that often gets misunderstood and misinterpreted. And sometimes we even feel that ourselves. And we wrestle with God just like Peter does, just like Ananias does, and just like lots of other people do. But the point is not to look on people with the spirit of judgment. It's to look on people the way God does. With compassion and grace and mercy. Because most of the people that we might judge as being unworthy to be in the church are probably in that in the place that they're in because of all the things that life has done to them. Because they've never known the truth of God. Because they've never understood who Jesus really is. Maybe because they've been deeply hurt by the church in the past. And I think God is calling us to see people with different eyes. To see them as people who are hurting and struggling. To see them as people who are loved creatures of God. And to begin to be channels of grace and mercy and hopefully transformation. I think this, this is one of the reasons for me why the prayer vigil is so vital to us as a church. Because I'm convinced we will never have the heart of God in the way we see people until we have spent significant time with God. Pete Gregg says that one of the purposes of a prayer room is that in there we begin to imitate the Father. We begin to understand the heart of the Father and that takes time and that takes energy and it takes effort. And, and you'll notice in these stories that prayer is at the heart of everything that happens. Ananias is praying when the vision comes. Paul is praying when Ananias comes to meet him. Cornelius is praying when he has his vision. Peter is praying when he has his vision. Over and over again, prayer is at the center of all this that goes on in both of these stories. And I'm convinced that God uses our times of prayer to work in our hearts, to change our attitudes, to change our minds. And there is something about spending large blocks of time, like an hour. You know, the prayer vigil is, is broken up into hours. When you sign up, you sign up for an hour at a time. You sign up for more than that if you want, but at least an hour at a time. And, and I know through the years, and I've kind of thought this myself at times, what do you do for an hour? And I've heard that over and over again. And what I invariably hear afterwards is, I wish I'd signed up for two. It went by so quickly. There's so much that God was saying to me. There's so much to pray about. My eyes were open. Things were happening that's what takes place when we come to God in prayer. This is, again, one of the reasons why I think the prayer vigil is so significant. And one of the things that, that often we do in, the, in that prayer time is look into Scripture. When we read the Scripture with an open mind and an open heart, again, God uses that to work in us and to change us and to, and to make us who he wants us to be. Mark Laverton says he was part of a group once that read, decided to read Scripture from the eyes, the mindset of other people. And so they, they thought about different people they know who are in different situations in life. And they thought about a guy who was uh, serving a life sentence in prison and somebody else who was uh, dealing with, uh, with AIDS and, and a, a homeless person and, and somebody else who was a drug addict and, and someone who was into the occult. And in all these different groups of people, and they began to try to read the scripture from their perspective, as it just transformed their whole time. They began to see and hear God speaking into those people's lives in a way that they had never thought of before. And it changed them. How do we know how do we get the heart of God? It's by spending time with God. 
And that's our calling. I read about a church that uh, was, was meeting together and the chairman of the church committee made a suggestion that they make a set of keys to the church for every family that was a part of the church. And his reasoning for that was then they could keep the church locked all during the week because you never know who might want to come into the church. And the person telling this story said, I guess in that setting they should put a sign up that says, no shoes, no shirt, no service. And the cartoon someone sent me this week said, no shoes, no shirt, no salvation. Brian McLaren says the Christians are not the end users of the gospel. The church was made for people. The church exists to be the arms and the eyes and the heart of God. And the question for us is are we trying to think of ways to keep people out or every way possible to welcome people in? Are we building ramps or are we building walls? Gracious Father, we thank you for your welcoming grace that makes it possible for us be changed and transformed and welcomed into your church. Forgive us. Forgive us for the times when like Ananias and his struggle and Peter and his struggle, we become more interested in how we can keep people out than how we can Welcome them in. We pray that you will change our hearts, change our minds, change our spirits, both individually and collectively, through your grace. In the name of Christ we pray. Please stand and join us as we sing. I once was lost in darkest night. Yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life, and led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse.
face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.